Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There you can find out more information about who we are and where we're headed as a church. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. Amen. Well, you got to know what an honor it is for me, my wife, to be here this weekend um, here at Hope Church. And you got to know this too, and you got to believe me, um, y'all are so loved, all right? You're so loved. And the reason I say that is because there's been a special relationship that has occurred from the first moment I really walked into this church, my brother's family that attends here at this church, at this service right now, I believe, and just all that God has done, the relationship with Pastor Vance and some of the leaders, and we had some of them come up to our church again in Canada and outside of Toronto, and just the chance to be here right now, like how much affection I have for your leaders and pastors, how much affection I have then for you as well, and just all that you've done and been used, honestly, when... Um, my brother's family were going from kind of the Virginia area to move to Vegas. We got to admit, a lot of us in the family were like, how's that going to go, you know? So spiritually speaking and stuff like that, it's been the best move they've ever made, all right? And what God has done in their family and as a result in mine and everything else too. So you all are so loved. The second thing I want you to know too is thank you for entrusting your pulpit to a Canadian. Maybe it's the, I'm not sure, maybe it's the first time this has ever happened here. I don't know. It probably is. It probably is. But thank you for that. And we're going to be praying for this Canadian that he will be used by the Lord as only the Holy Spirit can do. And just a series that we are continuing in Awaken. And the heart, heart of me right now today is just, Lord, you have to do what only you can do. And when you see hearts awaken for the Lord Jesus Christ, man, there's nothing else that really matters. The most satisfying person in the universe is the Lord Jesus Christ. When we are awakened to his presence, to his glory, there's nothing else we need and no one else we want. And that is the prayer then that we seek to give him right now as we begin to open God's word together. And so I know Hannah just prayed, but I'm too scared to preach without praying, okay? So I'm going to pray just a moment here. Uh, and would you pray with me as we do that? And we'll jump in to God's word. So Father, I do ask you right now in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, that you will strengthen and fill, that you will teach, you will correct, and ultimately you will transform. As the psalmist says, O Lord, O God, right now, would you please, Lord, open my lips that my mouth might declare your praise. Holy Spirit of God, you are the one who opens, and then you are the one who gives the gift of declaring the praise of God Almighty. May it be so. Thank you. Thank you for this place. Thank you for this church. Lord, they don't fully know it, Lord, but how much it's meant to me and to the church I pastor and the relationship that, again, can only be established in the things of Jesus Christ. It's so wonderful. It's so beautiful. It's what you do. We pray this then, right now. Teach us, speak to us, lead us. In Jesus' name, if you agree, you can say amen. Amen. And please open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 66, the last chapter in the beautiful book of the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 66, and we'll be looking at the first two verses of this chapter. And let me just start by saying this. Um, I'm not here today to impress you. Praise the Lord for that. It's so great to be able to say that. But I am here today to convince you. Uh, by God's help and by the Spirit of God alone, I'm here today to convince you, to convince you in this prayer for revival, for this prayer to be awakened in the Spirit of God. Listen, 
there is a direction that we must go. you got to hear me now. This is so important for the Christian life, biblically speaking, and being led by the Holy Spirit of God. There's a direction we must go in the pursuit of the Lord, but there are places we never leave. And both can be true in God's kingdom, in God's way. There's a direction we are called to go, but there are places that we must never leave in terms of the blessing and the favor of the Lord. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, there's a biblical vision that never gets old, in which the Holy Spirit never tires of filling, ever. There's a song that will be sung that will always be the delight of the Father, always. There are certain convictions that God lays out before us that he says, I guarantee to bless that. Another way to put it, there are wells that will never run dry. Living water will always be available to drink from, and every time we do drink from these again, we are satisfied in a way that nothing else can compare. But here's the danger. The moment these wells are assumed, the moment these convictions are presumed upon, it's the moment we are in great trouble. So much a part of the church in this land and the land that I come from There has been an assumption that we depend upon God. There's an assumption that we hold to the reality of his world. There's an assumption that we seek to be humble before him. There's an assumption that our greatest desire is truly the glory of Jesus Christ. But the moment you go, yeah, 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 we got that, we got now onto the real stuff, that's the moment, man, that church is in trouble. That's the moment that man's in trouble, the marriage is in trouble, that family's in trouble, the leadership is in trouble, the moment we presume or assume upon the dependence, upon the wells of living water that must be drunk from on a daily basis. You see, the devil knows this, and he's clever, and the flesh is so opposed to this in our lives too, so every day then becomes a fight for the heart. Every day then is a battle for our affections. Every day is a fight, including today, is a fight for truth. How do you know all this? Because every day I'm tempted with the temptation towards compromise and seeking the easy road as opposed to the hard and narrow path. We see what we do today from Isaiah 66 verses one and two, we're gonna lay the foundation again or we're gonna look at the foundation again. We're starting from ground zero because if the foundation isn't strong, we're in huge trouble. Take a look at the screen here. I wanna show you the tallest building in the world. It's located in the city of Dubai. It's called the Burj Khalifa standing 128 meters tall, almost one kilometer. To the Americans in the room, that means absolutely nothing, all right? It's about half a mile. Half a mile in the sky. Just think about that. Half a mile. 160 floors. It holds the world's fastest elevator. You guess how fast? 40 miles an hour. Imagine it. The world's highest swimming pool on the 76th floor. Listen, listen. But the secret to the stability of this massive building is found underground. Before construction began, workers spent a year digging and pouring the massive foundation that supports the building. The foundation contains almost 59,000 cubic yards of concrete, weighing more than 110,000 tons. The only reason the building is safe is because the foundation is so strong. For there's one foundation that can be laid. None other foundation will be laid other than that which is Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 3. What we're doing right now is essentially looking at the foundation, the foundation of the life, 
the ministry, the pastors, the leadership, the home, the marriage that will be blessed and guaranteed to be blessed by the Lord. Isaiah 66, verses 1 and 2 does this so beautifully, succinctly, and powerful for us right now. Take a look, Isaiah 66, verses 1 and 2. Do not miss what God is saying to us today. Lord, help us. Lord, lead us. Lord, move in us. Verse 1, thus says the Lord. Got your attention? It should. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. God is ruling the universe with his feet up. What is the house that you would build for me? What is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, so all these things came to be, notice, declares the Lord. And notice the word there, but. The contrast comparing to the glory that was just said about who God is, but this is the one to whom I will look. He, she who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. This is a foundational passage. When our foundation is seen as this, I like our chances. Two convictions we draw right from this text right here. Two convictions, a simple but I pray a profound message for all of us here right now. Conviction number one is this. There is only one God. Some of you might be saying, you came all the way from Canada to tell us that? I told you, I told you I'm not here to impress you, but I am here to convince you. Here to convince you of this everlasting truth, verse 1. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne. Just, just, just picture that. I love the imagery here. The throne of God is heaven itself, and the earth is my footstool. This planet that we exist in, tiny little finite creatures. In the midst of this massive world, it's the footstool of the Lord. What is the house that you would build for me, God says? What is the place of my rest? I believe one of the greatest insights from verse 1 is this. Let us never think that we can place our God in a box. Now listen, literally in this text, what is this house that you will build for me? Do you think you can contain me in a box, in a temple, in some building? Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool, God says. What is this house you would build for me? Now, what's happening here? This is not a call for the rejection of church buildings. Rather, this is a call for the elevation of the Almighty and the worship and honor and praise do His name. If you study the book of Isaiah in its totality, you find out that the central problem that is identified in the human race is that of self-exaltation. The book of Isaiah details this and tells us that the human race is so prone. It's so interesting, though. But in our frailty, in our massive insecurity, in our inability, we still try to convince ourselves that we are greater than we are and at many times trying to even usurp God himself. It's theological insanity. It's stupidity. It's the foolishness of the wickedness that's found in the heart of man that says, there is no God. If there is, I'm greater than him anyways. The book of Isaiah, again, is pointing this out. But right now he responds, notice, in the last chapter of this incredible book and says, there is only one God. And listen, we're not him. But we are called to exalt him and adore him and serve him, this one God. And then Look at the next part of verse 2. All these things my hand has made, so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. So here's the Lord, the maker of the heavens and the earth. Think about it. Think about it. The sovereign king, the Lord of glory, the great I am, the God who decides when nations rise and when nations fall, the God who reigns over all, the salvation, Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead. 
the omnipotent one, the omniscient one, the one who will soon come and establish the new heavens and the new earth, this awesome and almighty king, as we even sang this morning, my God is awesome. This God says to humans, to people, he says, will you give me a few stones to build a temple? Will you give me some fine wood as a gift to me? When I look upon all creation, all these things my hand has made, and all these things they came to be, because I'm the one who created it, the Lord says. The wonder of creation, all done by the glorious, infinite God. It reminds me we're here in, in the desert. You have a rugged beauty surrounding. I hope you appreciate it. As my wife and I come in here, it's very different where we come from, but it reminds me what John Piper said. He said this, no one goes to the Grand Canyon to improve their self-esteem. Now think about that. Every single person who pulls up to the Grand Canyon does not go and look at the beauty and say, I'm awesome. Every single person, believers, unbelievers, whoever it is, they look out and they go, look, something greater than myself. The wonder found in the heart of the human race to look for eternity. As the Lord says, all these things my hand has made, all these things came to be. Do you see what's happening here, loved ones? Can you sense the profound wisdom that God is handing down? He's saying this, don't ever seek to limit God to one location. Don't limit God to one work or one specific strategy. God's not interested in the plans of man. God will not be forced into one stream of thought or methodology. The people in the context of Isaiah, they were trying to please man by their effort. Notice in, even in, in verse three, look at Isaiah 6, 6 verse three. It says, he who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a man. See what God's saying there? He's like, are you, are, are you going to sacrifice to me by your effort? Notice, he who sacrifices a lamb like one who breaks a dog's neck. He who presents a grain offering like one who offers pig's blood. He who makes a memorial offering of frankincense like one who blesses an animal. See what God's saying there? He's like, you're trying to do all these things by your effort to please me? That doesn't please me, God says. God says, he comes back to me, he says, what I want is I want your heart. Because when I have your heart ready, when I have your heart, God says, I have your everything. And when I have your worship, and I have your exaltation, then all these things start to come together within life. The Lord is looking for us to draw near to him that he might draw near to us. I'm telling you right now, the Lord is looking for your heart and mine right here today. Where's your heart? Where's your heart? Where's your heart? Is it distracted? Is it diluted? Is it discouraged? The Lord wants your heart. Like, like, I didn't come all the way from Canada, man, just to go through the motions. I'm telling you that much, too, okay? Here, by the appointment of the Lord, by his grace and mercy and the humility that is represented, but the Lord's saying to you, man, I want your heart because I love you so much, child. And when I have you, when I have you, man, then life starts to be lived. It gets harder, it gets better. It's been filled with pain at times, but filled with glory. This is the Holy One of the universe looking down upon us and saying, I want your heart. See what happens here? We're trumpeting an old call. It's always been this way, but it always unleashes new power. The new power of the surrendered heart seeking to honor and love God Almighty. But let's, let's, let's just be honest before the Lord right now. The distractions are many. The entertainment is in abundance. The football games later on today all the different aspects of our society that draw us away from the one true purpose we have in worshiping the Lord God Almighty. Love us. Never allow the good to become the enemy of what is best. Because this is what ends up emptying the church of God's power. 
A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite authors, understands the church are reading his book, The Pursuit of God, right now. That book was so used to transform my life way back when I was saved and even for my ministry. From the knowledge of the holy, though, he says this. I'll read the first part, and then we'll join together on the screen a little in a little bit. He says this. Listen carefully, okay? This is, this is prophetically said 60 years ago. The church has surrendered her once lofty concept of God and has substituted for one so low, so ignoble, as to be utterly unworthy of thinking, worshiping men. This she has done not deliberately, but little by little, without her knowledge, and her very unawareness only makes her situation all the more tragic. The low view of God entertained almost universally among Christians is, listen, is the cause of a hundred lesser evils everywhere among us. A whole new philosophy of the Christian life has resulted from this one basic error in religious thinking. The rest will be on the screen for you. Notice, with our loss of the sense of majesty has come the further loss of religious awe and consciousness of the divine presence. We have lost our spirit of worship and our ability to withdraw inwardly to meet God in adoring silence. Modern Christianity is simply not producing the kind of Christian who can appreciate or experience the life in the spirit. The words, be still and know that I am God, mean next to nothing to the self-confident, bustling worshiper in this middle period of the 20th century. This is, this is it. The loss of the concept of majesty has come just when the forces of religion are making dramatic gains and the churches are more prosperous than at any time within the past several hundred years. And this is very, very wise and insightful. But the alarming thing is, is that our gains are mostly external and our losses wholly internal heart and since it is the quality of our religion that is affected by internal conditions, heart before the Lord, it may be, this is what he says here, amazing. it may be that our supposed gains are but losses spread over a wider field. That's what Tozer's saying right there. He's saying this. Why is this so critical? No people, pastor, elders, or church movement will ever rise higher than their idea of God. I gotta say it again because it's too important. There's no people, pastor, elders, church movement that will ever rise higher than their idea of God. Let me just bring it right down to you right now. There's no man, there's no woman, there's no child that will ever rise higher than your and my idea of God. See, why do we start here? Because this is where God starts. This is where life starts. This is who God blesses. It's so fascinating to think across the church today. We want revival. Here's the greater question, but do we want God? We want his blessing, but do we want him? Are you like me? Are you tempted to treat God like a vending machine at times? Gimme, 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 gimme. But the whole time, he doesn't want our wish list. He wants our wonder list and the praise and honor of him. This is where it begins, where life is actually and truly lived. This is when the people of God are awakened through the conviction that there is only one God. But conviction number two, this, this is where it gets really application-driven for us. There is only one that God will look to. There's only one that God will look to. See, where you get that from, the second part of verse two, take a look, take a look. God's word speaking today. But this is the one to whom I will look. Contrast the transcendence of God in his glory, his holiness, but now his imminence. He is now speaking and talking to those, again, us, finite creatures on earth. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my 
word. Okay, so just consider what we just read here. Here is the one to whom I will look. The NIV says, here is the one to whom I will esteem. Another translation, here is the one to whom I will bless. So if I'm at home right now and I'm preaching this back in Canada, I'm doing this. It's the door. It's for you. It's the Holy Spirit, okay? Or I'm like, hey, hey, the phone's for you. It's wisdom, okay? Because right now, right now, we're like, wait, God says, here is the one to whom I will look. Whoa, time out, time out, time out, time out. Whoa, 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 whoa. Stop, stop everything. Whatever comes next, if I miss this, I miss life. Go, go, go. Just everything, everything else has to stop. Turn the TV off, put the phone down, take off the internet. Just everything else has to stop. Whatever comes next from the mouth of God, this is all of life. Because God says, this is the gaze. This is the one to whom I have a gaze upon. This is the one to whom I, this is whom I bless. This is who I work within. This is the church I fulfill and fill in. So whatever comes next, man. You've got to be sitting up and listening. These aren't my words. This is God's word to you right now. And this isn't a game. This is the whole of life right here. This is the difference between life and death. This is the difference between blessing and curse. This is the difference between satisfaction and misery. It always comes at a price, doesn't it? The cost of wanting the Lord more than we want the world. So whatever comes next, man, I want to hear. I want to hear. This is the one to whom I will look. Humble, contrite spirit, and trembles at my word, and trembles at my word. You know, sometimes I, I wonder at all of us how sometimes we're so shocked that God is chastening us or disciplining us, and it's like, how's this happening? Why is my life all of a sudden different? Why? How come I'm not just on easy street? And we all look up at God in bewilderment and say, what are you doing? God's like, but don't you understand? I love you too much to let you go off into the ditch again. I love you too much to give you what you want. I love you enough to show you the path of where life is truly lived. And what he's doing by his grace and truth today for all of us right now, he's doing this again. He's coming right up beside you, man, so gentle, so humble, so beautiful, so precious, so glorious. And he comes and he speaks so tenderly to us and he says, my child, this is the one to whom I will look. This is the one. This is the one I work within. And how many lives could be changed today by receiving the message from God himself for upon us? Notice, three character traits of guaranteed blessing. Number one, God says, I look to the humble. I look to the humble. The word humble here in Isaiah means poor or afflicted. It's interesting. It kind of sounds so negative. It's, it's the oppressed person. So it's the person who knows they're not proud or arrogant in spirit, but inherently, they carry with them a deep dependence on God. The humble are those who sense there's an unworthiness before the Lord, and they owe everything to Him. You ever think about the greatest sermon ever given? The greatest sermon ever given, I promise you, is not this one today, okay? But the greatest sermon ever given is the Sermon on the Mount, given by Jesus. And you ever think about how the greatest sermon ever given begins by Jesus Christ, the Son of God? He says this. He says, blessed, happy, fulfilled, supremely happy are the poor in spirit. The greatest sermon ever given before all the other commands of the Sermon on the Mount. He begins with, blessed are the poor in spirit. Poor in spirit is, blessed are those who know they are spiritually bankrupt and can offer nothing to the Lord. Happy, blessed, fulfilled are those who know they have not and they look to the one who has all. Yeah. Greatest sermon ever given begins there. Poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. 
See what Jesus is doing here? This has been such a, such a, been so captured by this my whole ministry life. Jesus wants character before competency. We get excited about our giftedness. There's nothing wrong with that. We get excited about our competency. Nothing wrong with that. Unless they are coming before the reality that God is not looking for the man or woman who thinks they're all that. God is looking for the man or woman who knows they are not in order to be filled by the one who is. Okay? Character. Character. It's undeniable. I'm telling you, it's a point of wisdom right now. You can't argue with me. If you argue with me, you're arguing with God's word. Not my word. God's word right now. And God says so clearly, this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble. She who is humble. Those who know they need him. Think about this. Let's do a little New Testament survey. What's the single greatest virtue taught in the New Testament by precept or example? We should get this. should be easy. Love. 50 times or so. 50 times love. What's the second virtue taught by precept or example in the New Testament? It's humility. 40 times. Think about that. Humility and love put together, man, that, that's where you find life. This is why Andrew Murray said this. Andrew Murray said, humility is the mother virtue, your very first duty before God. I love this next line. The one perpetual safeguard of the soul. Think about it. There's so much safety in repentance. There's so much safety in humility. Why? It's pretty hard to fall from your knees, Right? The perpetual safeguard of the soul. I'm telling you, this is so much wisdom right now to us. We act in pride, we lose. We act in humility, we win. And set your heart upon humility as the source of all blessing. Why? There's fundamentally God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Every day we have two doors. We will come up against multiple times, dozens of times a day. Door A is humility. Door B is pride. You've already had opportunities today. You've had the door of humility presented to you and the door of pride. I'm telling you, this is, this is just, when the Holy Spirit, you walk up to the door, so the Holy Spirit goes, wait, 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 wait. Hey, Robbie, Robbie, you see in front of you, there's, there's my door, my way, humility, and you see in front of you, there's your door, sinful, pride. The Holy Spirit says, I'm not gonna force you, but you know as you walk through the door of humility, you win. As you walk through the door your flesh wants to of pride, you will lose every single time. You will all today, you will, I pray, I pray, you will have the Holy Spirit giving you such an awareness as you walk up and presented the two options and the two doors and our flesh so much says, no, no, I'm gonna win, I'm gonna go pride. And God's like, I guarantee you're not gonna win. You're gonna lose because God opposes the pride. But I love it. Every time you choose humility, you win. Every time you submit, every time you lower self, every time it's not about you, every time you love, every time you love your wife or serve your every time you walk through humility, you lose, but you win in the Lord Jesus Christ. Every time you go through pride door, you lose. That's faith, that's wisdom, that's called the light that follows Christ. This is whom God looks to. He looks to the humble. But it goes on now, we see this. He looks to also the broken. The broken, verse two, he was humble and contrite in spirit. I gotta admit, like when I see those phrases in scripture, my heart kind of skips a beat in a good way. I just know there's so much here, it's so important. The adjective contrite is only used three times in the entire Old Testament. You know what it literally means? Crippled of feet. God looks to the one who is crippled of feet. The root of contrite means he smote, like struck. So therefore, contrite, put that together, is you've been struck and now you're crippled in feet or you know you need help. Notice, and this is the one the Lord looks to. 
the one who knows they need help desperately, and they look to the one who can give it to them. This is why I believe in the life of the Apostle Peter, the single greatest turning point in his life was the denial of Jesus Christ. See what he's talking about. Think about it. Peter says to Jesus, I'll never deny you. I'll never betray you. In fact, I will die for you, Jesus. I'll die for you. And Jesus says before the rooster crows tonight, you will deny me three times. No, no, never going to happen. Luke's gospel is unbelievable. Read it for yourself today. It's Luke's gospel describes the moment Peter denied Jesus Christ for the third time, trembling before servant girls. The rooster crows. Jesus is in the court, wherever he was. Luke's gospel says Jesus turns and looks at Peter at the moment that he denied him. And Peter is over here, and they lock eyes in that last moment after Peter said, I'll never deny you. He denies him. Imagine looking into the eyes of God Almighty, the Son of God, Jesus the Savior, and in that moment, and the text says he went out, Peter, and wept bitterly. Okay, okay, okay. What happens right there? How lonely was Friday for Peter? Devastating. Think about... Think about Saturday if you're Peter. You don't know Sunday's coming. You don't know. You are. You are absolutely devastated. The regret, the anguish, the humiliation, the sorrow, the sadness, the brokenness of heart and soul. I think his greatest turning point, Sunday comes. Yeah, you better believe Peter ran. John 21. They're in the boat. Jesus comes to the shore. Peter jumps in the water and swims as fast as he can because in that moment, he's about to be restored again to the Savior of the world and Jesus, all the fish they bring up to the shore, lesson, lesson time, wisdom, all the fish they bring to the shore, Jesus is not concerned about the fish. He looks at Peter and asks him a question three times. He says this, Peter, do you love me? See what's happening right there? The brokenness and devastation of Peter's life ended up being the greatest turning point. He would be used one of those profound leaders in the history of the church and stand up that day at Pentecost and preach the sermon. All these people are getting saved. How unbelievably powerful it is that God looks upon the ones who are humble and broken. Peter was as crippled as he's ever been and never more ready to be used of the Lord. I want to speak to some men here today specifically. There's some men here right now that you are too proud to allow yourself to admit that you need to be broken. It's amazing to me at how many times I've been in ministry and how they refuse to allow the pride to fall in order to experience the grace and the awareness and the awakening to God himself. Women, of course, too right now. The pride that prevents us from being filled and used in a glorious way by the Lord because God says, I look to the broken, but we're not willing to be broken even though we are. I lovingly challenge you as I challenge myself every day. Do we have enough faith and humility to admit to who we really are and where we really are and to see the brokenness of the Lord Jesus Christ flood and fill our soul? No wonder Tozer said this, it is doubtful whether God can use a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Consider what the Lord is asking from us today. He's looking for a movement of crippled people. Think of the gospel. Maybe you're here right now. The number one thing that prevents people from giving their lives to Jesus Christ is ignorance or pride. And you hear right now, isn't it so interesting, those who understand I am broken in my sin and I need the Lord Jesus Christ, 
Those who come to the place, I can't do it, I'm done. I'm miserable. I've tried it my way. I've tried it the world's way. It doesn't work. At the moment, the brokenness sets in, and the moment with faith and awareness that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and they turn and they express their love and adoration and faith for the forgiveness of their sins through Jesus Christ who lived and died and rose again. The moment they become broken is the moment they actually start to live. And every single person that's ever been saved, that's your story and that's mine too. I implore you today, are you here? Be reconciled to the Lord Jesus Christ. Give your life to Jesus Christ by admitting that you are broken, then you may truly be healed. This is the way of God. This is not the way of the world. You notice in Isaiah 66, the one I look to is humble, contrite spirit, and then finally, the reverent. Those who tremble, tremble at my word. When you hear God's word spoken over you today, what effect and impact does it have on you? Is it like, eh? Or is there a sense of, oh, God is speaking. This is true. I must tremble at the word of God because it's the word of God that points me to the glory of God, the salvation of God, and to be used of God and to be filled with God. Amazing. The humble, the broken, the contrite. I want to read a parallel text right now from Isaiah chapter 57 verse 15 if you want to turn there you can but I'm going to read it for you I want you to just listen so so carefully because who knows if this is your moment right now consider how much this is just like the text we have just been going through the Lord says this for thus says the one who is high and lifted up who inhabits eternity isn't that awesome he inhabits eternity whose name is holy you ready I dwell in the high and holy place. That's the transcendence, as we said. The transcendence. God is apart from us. He is holy, separated from us. But then we see this, the imminence of God. Notice, but I also dwell with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. Who here today needs to get low before the Lord Jesus Christ? Maybe for the first time ever. Maybe for the first time in a long time. That today is your day to bow your knee before the Lord and to ask him, Ask him what? Notice, verse 15. To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. See what's happening there? God says, I don't revive the proud. I don't revive those who have it all together. I don't revive those who walk as though they aren't limping. He says, I revive those who know they need me. I work in the church that freely admits that apart from Jesus Christ, I can do nothing. To end this message today, I want to share you a story about me, about me here in your church. March 2015, first time I ever came to Vegas with my second son visiting my brother Jamie and his family. I got to admit to you, I came in Ministry just beats you up, all right? You pray for your pastors, okay? It's tough, man. If you're going to go for Jesus Christ for real, you're going to get crushed. It's just the way it goes. And I came to Vegas, and I was, I was hurting. I was discouraged. The enemy pounding and whispering lies. I was in a place, I remember journaling. I read it even before I came here again to refresh my mind of what was going on. And journaling, Lord, I just, I just, I need, I need to know you're there. I need to hear from you. I need to sense you, Lord. And I remember stumbling into church that Sunday morning. 
My brother had told me some really great things. He was looking at our church back home and always excited about what God was doing there. He was so excited what God was doing here, and I saw some stuff, and I came for the first. I sat right over here somewhere, probably like fourth row and a few chairs in, and I sat there, and I sat down. And even in the worship itself musically, all of a sudden, I was absolutely overcome by the Lord and his glory and his beauty. Like, I was so moved by the Spirit of God. that I'm kind of looking around, anyone else feeling this right now? You know what I mean? I'm just like, what is happening? But the awareness in my brokenness and my desire to believe in humility, to encounter the Lord in that way, and the way that he revived me, I remember at the end of the service, there was maybe a couple people or nobody. I just came right to the front. I met Pastor Travis for the first time. You don't know me, pray for me, man. I'm a brother in need. You pray for me. And how God used that that day to ignite and invigorate and refresh. And we're walking outside in the beautiful Las Vegas sun. And we're saying, my brother, I feel like I got saved again today. I don't believe in that theology, okay? I don't believe in that. But that's the way I felt. I was so overwhelmed with the reviving sense of the Spirit of God within my life. Thank you, Jesus. And I just want to extend to you today all the way here from Toronto to tell you a very simple message but a very powerful profound message if you want God to work in your life if it's one person or 400 people it doesn't matter God looks to the humble God looks to the broken and God looks to those who tremble at his word so we're going to have a time right now where if you're in a place before the Lord and it's time for you to get right before the Lord it's time for you, maybe the first time in a long time, to say, I got sin I got to deal with. And I need to be in a place where I just let the Lord know once and for all, with a posture of humility before him, bowing down at the altar here, kneeling on the stairs. Because I just need the Lord Jesus Christ within my life. And nothing's going to stop me today. Maybe you're here today, and you've never been in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Today's your day. He loves you so much. He lived for you a perfect life. He died for you a horrible death. And he was raised from the dead that he might defeat death and conquer. And all you need to do to come up today at the end of the service, one of the pastors will be here, one of the leaders, and you come up if you want a relationship with Jesus Christ that you may never die again and be guaranteed of eternal life. You come up and you say, I need Jesus. All you got to say, they'll pray for you, they'll love you, they'll surround you. So, I challenge you. I challenge you right now. Who cares who sees what? If you're here today, and this is your day to be humble before the Lord and ask him to work in your brokenness, then I invite you, I invite you to come forward, to come forward out of your seat, come to the altar, come to the altar and receive the refreshing presence of the Lord himself, may it be so. We're gonna play this song and you can come then. I invite you, if the Lord is working in your heart, the Holy Spirit right now, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. If that's you right now, you come right now. You come right now. The Lord is speaking to you and where you are. You put the pride aside and you come right now. I invite you. I invite you. Amen. Amen. Who else here today right now, you want to come as a response right now before the Lord? Lord Jesus Christ. Work, Lord. Work, I pray. Amen. Amen. So we pray, God, we pray. Oh, God, I pray the humility of the Lord before you. 
the love of Jesus Christ, that you will use this song as it is played to speak to many, and maybe there'll be other people, Lord, many people desiring, Lord, to bow before you in the presence of the Lord to express their love of humility, of brokenness, and of trembling at the word of God. Lead us now, we pray, in Jesus' name.